0: 2 Samuel chapter 19, starting in verse 9, ending in verse 30. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies, and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king. Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and bring the king over the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And when, with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king, and he was about to cross the Jordan, and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day of my lord left the king. The king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am the king And I am this day king over Israel. And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before the lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided, you and Zeba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home.
1: So turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. But I'm thankful that so many of us can say our sins are many, but his mercy is more. You've experienced the mercies of God. I hope you can say that. Pretty excited, in a couple weeks, on February the 2nd, we're going to we're gonna have a baptism service, and we've got quite a few that are gonna be baptized. And they're saying by being baptized, "Hey, my sins are many, but God's mercy is more. He's extended mercy to me through Jesus Christ." Page three eighteen in the black pew Bible. So we're in this book, Second Samuel. We, we're doing First and Second Samuel again. First and Second Samuel is is one book originally. We divided it in two. Uh, Of course, we have chapter and verses in there for our benefit as well. But this series we've been in for months, there's a need for a king. And we've seen David crowned, anointed as a shepherd boy to be the shepherd of God's people, the Israelites. You remember where we left off last week? I'll kind of review for us and we'll hit the ground running here in chapter 19. David has been opposed by his son Absalom, if you recall. And he's fled Jerusalem. But his army, led by Joab, has squashed the coup. The coup attempt has been dismantled. And Absalom, David's son, has been killed. In fact, Joab and his armor bearers are the ones who ran him through with a spear and lances. And David, upon hearing the news, was grieved so badly that the soldiers didn't even get a chance to celebrate as they returned to the city. You remember he, he grieved greatly, and Joab went and rebuked him. Told him if he, doesn't, if he didn't return to the city gate and take his position as king, con- congratulate these soldiers, tell them thank you, job well done. If you don't do that, then what's going to happen the next time you're not going to have a, a soldier one to go and fight for you. And David is a man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean that he doesn't sin. The great thing about David is that he sinned greatly, but he responded to correction. He responded to Joab's rebuke, and and he did. He went out to the city gate and and congratulated the soldiers. And that's where we pick up with here in chapter 19. And what we're going to see today... in Walking through these books, you don't you don't get to pick and choose, you know. We're just walking through verse by verse. And so it's it's a narrative text. That means we have to we have to read a lot. So Morgan read a lot and he only read a portion of what we're gonna get to today. But what I want to encourage you to do is go back and read this today or tonight. And the next week we'll pick right up there with the story. So it's helpful. It'll be more helpful to you if you read ahead and kind of keep up with us in the story. Help fill in some gaps. And the great thing about our small groups, the way they're set up is we'll be talking about this next Sunday as well. But what we're going to see today is, we're going to see David's merciful side. We're going to see division um, in the nation and also opposition. Opposition to David's rule is going to continue as well. In verses 9 through 12, the beginning of this uh, reading section, Israel, we see how fickle Israel was. And what they're doing is, Many have followed Absalom, but now Absalom's been put to death. So now what's going to happen? Who's going to be king? Well, the, it seems that David will be king, and they're debating that in verses 9 through 12. But think about our own situation here in America. When JFK was assassinated, our president, in only a few hours after that event, Lyndon Johnson was sworn in as our new president, and he began to function in this capacity almost immediately. It's a great thing about our Constitution. It sets down very, a very clear process for succession, but not for a monarchy, for countries who have kings. How, when they cease to function as a king, what does the nation do? And so that's the problem we, we find in our text today. They're scrambling around trying to figure that out in these verses. And it seems to be a foregone conclusion that David is going to return and resume his role as Israel's king, but how is that going to happen? You have to keep in mind what, what makes it even more difficult is a large part of the nation has followed Absalom in his coup attempt, and so David is trying to unite the country again, trying to return to Jerusalem, and David does, doesn't want to just rule over part of the country, he wants the, the country unified. And so what he does, he sends out a request to to Judah to welcome him back across the Jordan and to, to take him into Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 14. We have so much text, we can't read all of it. That's why it's important that you read that at home. But it says that David swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Now flip over to verse 40 of chapter 19 as well. We're going to come back. I just want to make a point here. Look at verse 40. The king went on to Gilgal and Kimham went on with him. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. And so we see David returning to his rightful place. He's going back across the Jordan, back into Jerusalem. But we have the tribe of Judah and half of Israel. Half the rest of the people of the nation are are with him and supporting him going back into the city. So a couple things I want to point out to you. First of all, is just the mercy of David in our text today. And now who is David merciful to? Well, firstly, in chapter 19, verse... Verse 13, Amasa. Now Amasa was, the. if you remember, he's the commander of the army, Absalom's army. So he was part of the coup attempt, right? But you know what David does is David is merciful to Amasa. He was David's nephew. He was kin to Joab, but it's kind of interesting. He put Amasa, who was heading up this coup attempt, in charge of his own army but I think he does that for several reasons. Firstly, I mean, think about it. You're replacing a victorious general with one who's been defeated. That doesn't make any sense. Usually when you're picking a coach for your team, you want to pick a winner, but David doesn't do that. He puts Amasa over his army. A couple reasons for that. Firstly, I think, is because Joab disobeyed the king and he killed Absalom, David's son. And David had given him direct orders not to do that. So he probably feels has a little ill will towards him. But secondly, I think what David's also trying to do is he's trying to unify the nation. And all those who followed Absalom, he could win them back, win back their support if he put Amasa over the the army. And that's what he did. And it says in verse 14 that he won them over. So he's, he's merciful to Amasa. He's also merciful to Shimei. You remember Shimei? He was the, in chapter 16, flip over there real quickly. Look at chapter 16. I'll just, we'll just read this real quickly. For, uh, 2 Samuel 16, verse 5 through 8. This is when this is when David had to flee Jerusalem because Absalom was, was wanting the throne, right? There's a coup attempt. David and all his men had to flee. Look at verse 5 of chapter 16. When King David came to by Harim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of, da- of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. He's saying this to the king got a lot of nerve, doesn't he? The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into you, the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. So that's what happened to David as he's leaving Jerusalem. He's fleeing Jerusalem, fleeing for his life. And you have this man who's pelting you with rocks and throwing dirt on you and cussing you like a Philistine sailor. And so what does he do in chapter 19? Shimei comes to David and he... He's sorry. He's a fair weather fan. I mean, he's worse than a Patriots fan. It's terrible, right? Absalom is is the winner. I'm 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 all for Absalom. Now David's the winner. I'm all for David, right? I hope nobody gets offended at that. (laughs) Shimei, yeah, he's, he's, he's apologizing, right? He has to apologize in order to survive. Look at verse 18. And Shimei... Shimei, the son of Gareth, fell down before the king. Of course, what else are you going to do, right? You've thrown rocks and cussed him. He falls down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he says in verse 19, Let not, let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king had left Jerusalem. I can just imagine David, saying, yeah, yeah, I I'm still remember you. i got a couple knots on my head still from the rocks you were throwing, right? He's like, just forgive me. And he comes really humbly, doesn't he? Before David, remember how your ser- do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. And he just comes prostrate before the king and he says, "Hey, I'm I, I am I am so sorry. I'm so wrong. This is the guy that." David and supported Absalom. And David had the power to put him to death, and that's probably what David should have done. But David shows mercy. You know, we talked last week about how there's such a need in the church today for us to be able to, to give a, a, a word of rebuke when needed. We don't like that. Right? We don't like that. We don't like being told we're wrong. We want to be told we're right. But there's a need in each and every life of a believer for someone to be able to speak in your life and to correct you when needed. But it takes spiritual wisdom, doesn't it, to know when to correct and when to be merciful. Yeah, there's a time, Brian, where we, we're, we're direct and we're forthright and we're honest and we give a word of rebuke. But there's also a time that we're just merciful. We bear with people, we overlook their sin, and we're merciful to them. And that's what David does here. The Shimei, he is merciful. And maybe some of you right now, it's a, it's a, it takes spiritual wisdom, doesn't it, because some of you right now you're in relationships, maybe with your spouse, and you're you're wondering, am I really being too merciful? Am I being too hard on him? Maybe with some of your kids, you're wondering, am I am I being too merciful? Am I being too too likes and discipline? Yeah, it's it's there's no easy formula, is it? Sometimes we have to give a word of rebuke to one another, and sometimes we just need to be merciful, right? But that's what David is now. He's merciful, and he's also merciful to Mephibosheth. Look at verse 24 through 30. Do you remember Mephibosheth? He was the crippled son of Jonathan, and God had formed this incredible bond between David and Jonathan. They loved each other like brothers, and David had made a, a covenant with Jonathan that he would he would take care of his children and Mephibosheth he had taken care of. He had taken them into his house and treated him like a son. He ate at the king's table day in and day out. But when everyone left the city, Mephibosheth didn't leave. He stayed in the city. Look at, look at chapter 16 again. Ziba, who was taking care of Mephibosheth, helping take care of Mephibosheth for David. This is what he says when he was leaving the city. Chapter 16, verse 1-4, through 4, And David had passed a little beyond the summit. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread and 100 bunches of raisins, hundreds of, hundreds of summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba says, It's for food for your people, right? Verse 3, And the king says, And where is your master's son, Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to him, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he today, for he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, "Well, in that case, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours." So Ziba had told him that Mephibosheth was hoping to become king, so he stayed in Jerusalem. David had believed Ziba and given him all his possessions, given him his estate, right. But as he comes back into the city, he meets Mephibosheth, and he doesn't look like one who was hoping to be king. He looks like a vagabond, doesn't he, there in verse 24. What's it say? Chapter 19, it says, Mephibosheth came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. So he doesn't look like somebody who wants to take the throne, does he? And, And David asked Mephibosheth, if he was loyal to him or not. And Mephibosheth, remember, he's lame. He says, Ziba conspired against me. He says, no, I, I wanted to go, but Ziba didn't take me with him. Remember, I'm lame. And it seems to me that Mephibosheth maybe is telling the truth here. I'm not sure. But all these years, he's lived like a son, eating at David's table. And what did David do? It's it's quite interesting. David divided the estate between Ziba and Mephibosheth. And why does he do that? I'm not real sure. Maybe he doesn't know who is telling the truth. And it's interesting because David in the Scriptures, he kind of points us to Christ, right? In the Old Testament, he's the Messiah. But he's pointing us towards the Messiah to come, Jesus of Nazareth, isn't he? But David, he doesn't always make the right decisions. Sometimes it seems here that there's justice hadn't been handed out because somebody's lying. Zeba or Mephibosheth, one of them is not telling the truth. And so he just divides it in between the two of them. But notice what Mephibosheth says. He says, I don't have any rights. I don't claim any rights. You should have you should have done away with me when Saul, my grandfather, died, but yet you've, you've treated me so well. And, and he says, David tells him, says, you know, the, I'm going to divide this between you and Zeba, and y'all just can have it and whatever, you'll be fine. And Mephibosheth says, no, I, I don't even want it. Give it all to Zeba. He says, all I want to do is, is to be with you. If I'm with you, I don't care about the stuff. I don't care about my estate, the inheritance. I don't care about any of that. I just want to be with you. I don't even deserve any of this. I don't deserve it at all. If I can just be in your presence, sit at your table, that's all I want. So whether Mephibosheth is, is right or wrong, culpable or not, we can learn something from Mephibosheth, can't we? Yeah. He recognized he didn't deserve anything that he received, anything good that he received. He said, I just want to be in your presence. Wow. If that would be our, our all of our attitudes about Christ, right? Lord, I just want to know you. I just want to have a relationship with you. I don't care about all the blessings, all the stuff. I just want to know you, and that'll be enough. I'll just wallow in Wallow in the good graces of just being able to be in your presence. So David is merciful to Mephibosheth. Verses 31-40, through 40, David is also merciful to Barzillai and Kimham. Look at verse 31, we'll read a little bit of this. Now, Barzillai, the Gideite, had come down from Rogalim and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to him, Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still lived that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still... Listen to the voice of singing men and singing women. Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to be a burden to him. You know, I'm I'm old and he asked him, Hey, I just want to go back to my town and there I'll I'll spend the rest of my days and I'll be buried with my family. But what he had done is he had taken care of David. He had been good to David while David is in in exile running from Absalom. He would fed him. He would fed his men. He had been really good to him. And here he is going back to the Jordan. What he end up doing? He crossed the Jordan with him, which was about 20 miles from where they were. And he was going another 20 miles to Gilgal. And there he says his goodbye. He says, you know what? David says, why don't you just come and let me take care of you and you can eat at my table. He says, I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to return home. I don't want to be a burden to you. But you know what? My son, he can go with you and you can, you can bestow on him all the blessings you're going to bestow on me. And that's what David did. In fact, in 1 Kings... When he's dying, he tells Solomon, one of the last thing he said to Solomon was, make sure you take care of this guy and his, his boys. So David is merciful to all of these people. And it, you think about, he had the right to put some to death. He had the right to demand some of these men's lives, but yet he's merciful in this difficult time as he's going back to Jerusalem. Want to notice a couple other things is just division between Israel and Judah. Verses 41 through 43. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all of David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. So now they start there's division. They start to squabble and fuss and fight. And Judah says, look, David is of the tribe of Judah. We're we're close relatives. So we should have the right to bring him back to Jerusalem to take his place on the throne. But then if you read the next few verses, Israel says, no, actually, we outnumber you. So we should have been a part of this deal of bringing David back into Jerusalem. And if you you notice the verses, they they not only say that he says, look at verse 43. We're not only bigger than you, we have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. In other words, we're, we're, we outnumber you. We should have a say-so in this deal. And then they also say, why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? It's like little kids, isn't it? Well, I called it first. <laughs> I'm the one that came up with the idea. Why didn't I get in on this party? Why didn't I get in on this bringing back, this bringing back and returning David to the throne? So you see this division, and what's interesting, David's grandson, Rehoboam, when he's on the throne, there will be a split. They'll never be reconciled. Northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. But we see that even here, the division between these two groups of people. And it says, verse 43. Judah's words were fiercer than that of Israel. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. What do you think that means? They yelled the loudest. They got loud. They just got louder than those of Israel, right? Those of the tribe of Judah, they had a little bit stronger will, didn't they? They made some noise. So we see these divisions. But we see that all the time in the Scriptures, don't we? I mean, think about it in the New Testament when Jesus was serving. Think about Mary and Martha. Do you remember that episode? Martha's doing all the work. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does Martha say? In layman's terms. Tell her to help me. Why do I got to do all the work? Think about the disciples. They quarreled too, didn't they? I mean, here are the twelve disciples following Jesus, seeing all the miracles being taught truth day in and day out, and they squabbling and quarreling over who's the greatest. I should be treated better. You're not giving me what I deserve. I'm being left out. I deserve better. I'm getting ripped off here. I'm not getting what's what I got coming. I mean, think about this as an incredible time for the people of Israel, for David. It's a joyous occasion. The coup has been thwarted. Absalom is dead. The king is returning to his rightful place in Jerusalem. There's going to be unity in the nation, but then you have all this fighting. Can the, can the devil move even among joyous times? He can, can he? I mean, this is a, a, an awesome time. But hostile words ruin it, doesn't it? That happens for us, doesn't it? Some of you are thinking about, about Christmas. Some of you had, didn't have a very good Christmas because you have some rogue family member who's, gets loud, louder than everybody else, right? Demanding their rights and wanting to know why we didn't have it at our house. and da 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 da, da right? It's supposed to be a happy time, right? But fools are involved, and when fools are involved, things happen. Proverbs 12, 16, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. you got a bunch of fools here together, and what happens is fighting and quarreling. And we'll see this division occur again across tribal lines two generations later as Israel and Judah are split for the final time. Last thing, notice that David's rule was often contested. It's, it's interesting, as we see the life of David, he takes the throne, but, but even before he takes the throne, there's opposition from Saul, trying to kill him, trying to take his life. We see it from Shimei, we see it from Absalom, right? And we see it from another man named Sheba. Look at chapter 20, let's read verses 1-3. through 3. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he th- blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse and every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. And the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. So it's, it's amazing. It never ends. It's like there was a season before Bathsheba where there was, there was peace. And even when there was battle, it was, it was a battle uh, against the pagan nations. But here, it seems like there's opposition, one right after the other. But it, it's, it's fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? It's what Nathan told David would happen, there's going to be a fighting within his own household and from outside. And so we see Sheba rebelling against David. We have no portion in David. What that means: We don't want David to be our king. We're not going to submit to him. And he leads a, a large group out of Jerusalem, and Sheba it says, "Was a worthless man, and he was a Benjamite." It's interesting. Saul was a Benjamite. Shimei was a Benjamite, and now Sheba is a, a Benjamite. I'm not going to rely on David. We don't want him to be our leader. I want nothing to do with him. Proverbs six sixteen through nineteen tells us what the Lord hates. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. What does the Lord hate? He hates somebody who sows discord among brothers. And that's what Sheba is doing. And David realizes it's going to get ugly here. Absalom was this one person leading this attempt, but now you have a large part of Israel who is abandoning him once again and following Sheba. So what does David do? He tells, his, he tells his commander-in-chief here, his leader of the army, Amasa, take three days and get the army together, get them organized and meet us back here. Well, three days pass and Amasa is not returned. And so David turns to Joab and his brother and he asks him to pursue Sheba. So that's what they did. But it's interesting, Joab, he meets on in the road and he greets him. If you read this story later tonight, you'll see he greets him. Calls him brother. In fact, they were cousins. But as he embraces him, he sticks a knife into his stomach and he falls in the road and dies. So Abishai and Joab continue to pursue Sheba. It's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? Not just in David's day, but it's a dog-eat-dog world today. Amasa's body is thrown out of the road and they pursue Sheba. And it's really interesting what happens here is they get to the town where Sheba is held up and they lay siege to it. Now, what it means to lay siege is they surround it and they don't allow anybody to come in or anything to go out. And so what they do is they starve the people in the city. But there's a wise woman there. You read the story in, in chapter 21. There's a wise woman there. That she asked for an audience with Joab, and she says, Joab, why would you destroy this wonderful city? What kind of person are you? And Joab says, no, 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 we don't want to destroy the city. We just have one man here, and he's opposed the king. He's committed treason, and we, that's who we're after. So this wise woman says, let me talk to my my people and we'll take care of this for you. In a short time, up over the wall comes the the head of Sheba. Game over. Joab and the rest of the army return back to Jerusalem. It's interesting, oh, Joab, he, he keeps... Put to death David's family members, and for somehow he continues to lead the army. We'll see his demise next week. Well, what is what are some applications points from our text here? Think about. i well, not think about Shimei. He's the one who who pelted David with rocks, but he comes back humble, asking for forgiveness, asking David to be merciful. And David was merciful, but maybe some of us are like Shimei today. And we've, we've not lived a life that we're proud of. We've done things that we think the Lord is upset about. Maybe you think the Lord can't forgive you. Well, again, David, he forgave Shimei. He was merciful to him. But you know, we have a, one greater than David. Jesus of Nazareth, who is more merciful than David was. He delights in showing mercy. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. And if you've never repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own today, you need to receive the mercy of God. Can you say, my sins are many, but His mercy is more? Can you say that? Have you experienced the mercies of God? He's... So merciful. He wants to be merciful to you. Maybe today you need to repent and trust Christ and yield yourself to Him. Humble yourself as Shimei fell face forward down on the ground before David. Maybe you need to humble yourself before a righteous, holy God. And receive his mercy today. It's interesting how David's rule is constantly contested. And opposed by Saul. By Absalom. Shimei. And then lastly Sheba. But do you remember. Why why does David win victory after victory? He never lost a battle by the way. Why do you think he won every victory? Do you remember? Because God was with him. God was on his side. See, to oppose David, the anointed of God, the Messiah of the Old Testament here, you oppose the Lord. And that's that was happening to David. Every few chapters, somebody's opposing his rule and his reign. Even, even folks who he's been good to, like Mephibosheth, right? Maybe Mephibosheth was plotting a coup himself. But just regardless of that, David was merciful to him. Think about our Lord. He lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus walked this earth, and what did he do? He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He straightened and strengthened the legs of paralytics. He even one, one time, he gave a widow back her son. Jesus did nothing but good. Loving people being merciful to people, but yet, what did the religious leaders and the people in Jerusalem that pass over? what did they say? Crucify him, right? If you oppose the Lord, his anointed, you oppose Christ, you will lose. Just like all of David's enemies, you'll fall and you'll be judged. Are you opposing the Lord? today maybe you're a sinner that's never repented you need to repent and submit yourself to the lordship of christ if you don't you will suffer his wrath for all eternity and maybe you're a believer and you say i I know that his mercy is more but i i know i'm forgiven i know i've had the spirit of god living in me But maybe there's been a season in your life where you've been in rebellion against the Lord. You haven't lived a a submitted life to Him. You haven't lived a life in obedience. Maybe today you need to submit yourself afresh and anew to the Lord. We call that repentance. You repent to be saved, but then you continually live a life of repentance, right? When we fail, we repent, come humbly to the Lord in confessing and turning away from that sin. Maybe, Maybe you're a believer and you need to Come to the Lord again, afresh and anew, yielded to Him to receive mercy. How do you need to respond today? We all have to respond to the Word, right? Believer, non-believer, you're responding to the the Lord today. If you're not a believer and you're not real sure about what it means to repent, I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be the last one to leave today. Make sure you catch me after we have our benediction. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to repent and trust Christ. If you have any other questions, some of you were having baptism on the 2nd of February. Some of you have repented and you need to be baptized. That's a command from the Lord. I would love to talk to you about that today. Let's pray and we'll have our benediction. Father, you are good to us and we acknowledge that we are sinners. We realize that we are in need of mercy and we're thankful. Father, for all the testimonies represented in this room, there's a lot of people, a lot of boys and girls, a lot of students, a lot of adults, men and women who have yielded to you and and repented of their sin and trusted Christ. And Father, I pray that if there's believers here that have been, you know, disobedience, maybe they've removed themselves from fellowship. They need to get back involved in a circle of believers who can encourage them and and admonish them maybe it's a stronghold a, a sin issue that they have yet to repent of i pray that you would help us lord to return back to you may you break our hearts that we would be yielded to you help us to make those commitments today as believers and Lord, for those who are lost, who are separated from the Lord, who've never received the mercy of God and salvation, we pray that they would be granted repentance and faith even today. Father, we are thankful for your word. As we read, continue reading Second Samuel, I pray that you would use it to open our eyes and ears to the truths of your word. And give us the grace to apply them. Or there's many that are not here today because they're sick, They've got the flu or a stomach bug. Some of our shut-ins aren't feeling well. We pray for grace upon our people that we would be back Wednesday and be back next Sunday. We thank you for allowing us to study your word and sing your word. May we leave rejoicing today because we've been together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.